0: Father, I do just uh, come before you today. God, we just come with expectation. We just thank you for your presence in this place. God, we thank you for your presence in this place. We thank you for meeting with us here today. God, we just exalt the King of glory right now. We just come saying we bring high praises to the King. We come with honor, we come with praise, we come with thanksgiving before you today, God. God, I thank you that you are speaking to hearts. I thank you that you are moving in power even right now, God, that your spirit is hovering over this place, God, that your spirit is stirring hearts even right now, that you are ministering to those places right now by the spirit of the living God. God, I thank you today that your word is coming forth in power. I thank you that your word is producing good fruit right now in our lives. God, I thank you for the revival that's coming. I thank you that you are sending us out, God, is your labors into your fields, God. We each have a field, and that you have called us to, God, to cultivate and to water and to plant and to harvest, and we each have a part. And so, God, we just, we just say yes to that today. We say yes to that today. So, God, prepare our hearts for revival God, renew our minds to the truth of what that means. God, we wait for you today. We wait on you today. You are the only reason we're here. It's all for you. It's all for you. So we praise you in this place, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we're on our next part of the Elijah series. And this is the ultimate showdown. This is when the Lord God of Israel is going up against the Canaanite God, Baal. Now, this is also the ultimate underdog story. If you think about this, if you picture this in your mind, you have one prophet of the living God on this side and you have 400 And 50 prophets of Baal on the other side, not to mention the king and queen of Israel and their other 400 false prophets that aren't even mentioned in this passage. So the odds are pretty stacked against Elijah. But also notice that the venue that is selected for this big event is Mount Carmel. Now, Mount Carmel is actually where the Canaanites would go and build their little sanctuaries and altars to their false weather gods like Baal. Remember, they thought he controlled the rain, but he hasn't been able to do anything for three years. So this is going to be fun. I believe many of God's prophetic people might actually feel this way sometimes. Like, it's just you over here versus. The world, or maybe you feel like, well, I'm the only Christian at my job, or maybe I'm the only one in my family that's trying to run after and serve the living God. Like everyone's all together over here, and I'm the odd man out over on this side, or even like spiritually, like the atmosphere that we're in, like we are in the world and it's surrounding us. It's trying to chip away at us. It's trying to knock us down or pull us down into its level constantly trying to reprogram how we think and act. It might feel like we're completely surrounded sometimes or like the outcome is already predetermined and inevitable. But I came to tell you a few things today right up front. My Bible says in Proverbs 21:30, there is no wisdom, no insight, and no plan that can succeed against the Lord. First Samuel 14:6 says, "Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. It doesn't matter if there is only one. as long as God is on that person's side, it doesn't matter." And Romans 8:31 sums it up nicely. If God is for us, who can be against us? The enemy tries to use fear to make us forget all of these simple truths. He's seen it play out way too many times before. He might be able to even get most people. Bound up by fear, to be paralyzed, their knees shaking, hyper-focused on the enemy and what he's doing, that they take their eyes off of what Almighty God is up to in their midst. But there is always a remnant who refuses to yield, the ones who cannot be discouraged, the ones who know God so well that they will easily dismiss these lies from the enemy and with boldness, turn around and remind the enemy, you are already defeated by King Jesus. The enemies experience what it's like to have a whole nation cowering in fear for 40 days, only to have one forgotten shepherd boy show up and be fearless in the face of a giant and deliver the enemy a crushing defeat. So, Let's start in verse 20 of 1 Kings 18. So Ahab sent word to all the Israelites and assembled the pagan prophets together at Mount Carmel. If you remember last week, Elijah had just come back to Israel. He confronted the king and actually gave the king a command. Elijah told the king, you need to assemble all the people and all those false prophets To me. So we see here in verse 20, the king actually obeyed. The, the wicked, corrupt king actually obeyed what the prophets said. So we can see here a key today. Even when things might look hopeless or we might feel like there's no point, God's authority is still higher than any man's authority. And we're going to see this thread of godly authority woven all throughout this passage, specifically as it deals with spiritual authority. We must recognize when we pray, when we decree and declare things according to God's will, the tremendous power and impact behind that higher than the highest earthly authority. When we are led by the Holy Spirit to speak God's words, at God's time, even earthly kings can bow and obey what the Lord is saying. Don't stop praying for your children. You have great spiritual and earthly authority over them. They may not recognize it or even respect it at times, but the words you speak carry great weight in the Spirit. Also, don't stop praying and interceding for the president and all of those in the government to do and act according to God's ways. As long as they are willing to listen to God's wisdom and counsel, there is always hope for things to get right and in line with God's will. So let's pick back up in verse 21. Elijah approached all the people and he said how long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people of Israel did not answer him so much as a word. We see here the prophet and prophetic people today are compelled to address the double-mindedness and the idolatry in the culture. Prophetic people call people, stop wavering, stop going back and forth between God and the things of the world. We have to bring people to the place of decision and to choose, like Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord and you need to choose this day, who you will serve. Also notice how the people, we've talked about this, the people have taken on the nature of their leader. We can't overstate this enough. Being under godly authority whenever it's within your power to do so, as you will in some way, shape, or form, begin to be influenced by them to a certain extent, even beginning to conform to their mindsets and ways of thinking. I don't know if you've noticed this, but if you hang out with people, could be a best friend or something, you start hanging out with them for any length of time, you start picking up on the little things they say. And you might find yourself saying those quirky little phrases, and you're like, oh, where did that come from? Oh, I picked it up, you know, from them. That's how it works. You don't even realize you're being changed. It's also a very sobering thought for anyone who's actually in some type of leadership. We have to wrestle with this. We must be very careful to try and follow God as close as possible since we are influencing everyone underneath our care directly and indirectly in whichever way we're going. That's why scripture warns not many of us to want to try to be leaders because we will be held to a higher standard and to account for those under our care. The prophet draws a line in the sand and makes people pick a side. Verse 22, Elijah said to the people, I alone remain a prophet of the Lord, while Baal's prophets are 450 men. Now, let them give us two oxen. Let them choose one for themselves, cut it to pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. I will prepare the other ox, lay it on the wood, but I will put no fire under it. Then you call on the name of your God. I will call on the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire. He is God. And all the people answered. It is well spoken. So here is the throwdown. Elijah takes off the gloves. The stage is set for the ultimate showdown between God and Baal. At the end, everyone in the nation is going to know for sure one way or another without a shadow of a doubt who is God and who they should serve. It's interesting that the thing that's chosen here to decide the contest is a burnt offering sacrifice, But the people can't set fire to it. So how can you have a burnt offering with no fire? The victor is determined by the God who sends fire from heaven. Picking back up in 25, Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one bull for yourselves and prepare it first. Since there are many of you, call on the name of your God, but put no fire. So they took the bull that was given, prepared it and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon saying, oh, Baal, hear and answer us. But there was no voice and no one answered. And then they leaped about the altar, which they made. Elijah actually lets the false prophets go first. It's actually kind of humorous in a way. He's almost like, all right, Y'all go ahead, try it your way. You know, the way that hasn't worked or gotten you anywhere or hasn't gotten you one drop of rain out of the sky for these past three years. Go ahead. Keep doing what you've been doing. And we'll see if your God is actually real. And I love it. There's no reply. No fire from heaven when they call on Baal. And this makes them go even more crazy. And we can kind of see this today sometimes. Sometimes we go out in the culture and people have these false ideas and false gods they serve, and they're trying to get people spooled up into their side. But then sometimes it doesn't work, and then it makes them even more crazy. Verse 27 At noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry out with a loud voice, for he's a God. Either he's occupied, Oh, or he's out at the moment, or he's on a journey. Perhaps he's asleep, and you need to go wake him up. I find this very interesting. It's usually you find people in the world kind of mocking and kind of needling God's people. But here you actually have the prophets kind of giving the false prophets a hard time. Like, hey, man, maybe your God's just kind of asleep. You know, he got tired. You need to wake him up. And the crazy part is they actually listened. Verse 28, so they cried out with a loud voice to get his attention. And they even cut themselves with swords in accordance with their custom until the blood flowed out. As midday passed, they played the part of prophets and raved dramatically until the time for offering an evening sacrifice. But there was no voice, no one answered, and no one paid attention. It's the ultimate show of the emptiness and futility of false religion. There's all these crazy things that religion tells people to do. It even gets them yelling and jumping around, acting frantically, trying to get their God to do what they want, even cutting themselves and spilling their own blood. Now, we know from Scripture that's the enemy that is behind this sick practice, whether it's hatred or violence, even the first children, Cain and Abel. You see the enemy working to try to get them to spill blood, murder, abortion, human sacrifice, even cutting, ways to try to attack humanity to take the life. Verse 30, then Elijah said to the people, come near to me. So all the people approached him and he repaired and rebuilt the old altar of the Lord that had been torn down by Jezebel. So now it's Elijah's turn. Elijah issues a call out to the people to come back as prophetic people. We call out to the people God has placed in our lives. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Come near, come close and return once again to the God of your salvation. And what happened when Elijah issued the call out? The people responded. They actually came. Sometimes all it takes is a simple invitation. Sometimes people are just waiting for one person to smile at them, to reach out, to lend a helping hand, or even to invite them back to church and say, God still loves you and come find freedom. I also love that Elijah rebuilt the altar of the Lord that Jezebel tore down. You see, The spirit of Jezebel tries to tear down and dismantle what God has done to stop what he is going to do. But prophetic people actively search out, how can we restore? How can we rebuild? How can we renew the things of God? Why? Because prophetic people honor God. Prophetic people honor the previous moves of God. Prophetic people show respect for those who have pioneered and cleared the path in previous generations. You see, altars are like monuments of remembrance, like an Ebenezer. Jezebel wants to totally erase God. She wants to remove his name from the public square. She wants to rewrite the history books as if Jesus never came, that the Holy Spirit has no voice or power for the people today. But prophetic people aren't people who are looking forward to the future alone. They remember correctly what God has done in the past. We are not hung up on the past, but we acknowledge and honor what God has done. Every time he has come through when God made a way where there seemed to be no way, because we know God is the same yesterday, today and forever. And if he did it before, he can and will do it again. Now, listen, when I say prophetic people. I'm not just saying this church. I'm saying what scripture said, that we should all eagerly desire to prophesy more than any other gift. So when you're walking in his spirit, when you're walking in his power and his will, you are prophetic people. I'm talking to you. You are the prophetic people, whether you have chosen to see yourself in that light or not. You have a gift and a call to prophesy. It is our job to steward and cultivate that gift and use that prophetic mantle according to God's will in order to see these prophetic words come to pass. I actually love this picture here in scripture of Elijah rebuilding the altar because it shows the connection between the old and the new. You see, before there could be a new move of God, before the rain could come again. Before there could be a revival, something old had to be honored and fixed. Also note that the offering had to be placed on the altar, which means the new thing had to rest on the old. I believe God's wanting to do a new work and restoring the generations to one another. We need both the wisdom of the old and the exuberance of the youth working together. We need everyone together building on what God has given us to do right now. We don't want to get too hung up on the past that we miss it. We don't want to be too forward focused that we miss the moment now. God is moving right now. He's doing a new work today. And we all have to play a part and don't miss the moment. Elijah fixed what was broken. Look, some things have to be corrected. The nation of Israel didn't just end up in idolatry, and a physical and spiritual drought overnight. There were some bad thoughts and lies that were believed that needed to be replaced with the truth. There were some leadership issues that needed to be corrected and rebuked. And what I love about the prophetic all throughout scripture and through today is the boldness and authority to speak to power, to bring to bear the heart and mind of God. Whether it was the prophet Nathan calling out King David or John the Baptist calling out King Herod or Jesus calling out the religious leaders of the day. Prophets speak God's will to the highest levels of earthly authority to bring them into alignment to the highest levels of heavenly authority. In this case, Elijah's calling out the king for tolerating that woman Jezebel, for promoting idolatry and leading a whole nation astray from God. He was calling out the false religious system that was binding and enslaving people. I mean, can you imagine serving this false God for three years, trying to do anything, even cut yourself and bleed out just in the hopes he would send rain? That's sick. Elijah was speaking truth to lies and shining light in the darkness. He was exercising his spiritual authority to break the stranglehold of witchcraft over his country and his people. And while we can't just go around like exerting our self-will over people, God does use us and send us strategically to certain people at certain times. He puts people's names on our minds while we're praying to, to speak life over them, to intercede and to pray for them because we don't know where they're at, but God does. And our words might be the one thing where they're at a tipping point. And that's the one thing that pushes them over and gets them back into God's arms. That's why we must be led by the spirit. Also notice that before Elijah offered the sacrifice, he built a very specific, proper altar to the Lord. In verse 31. Then Elijah took 12 stones in accordance with the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. 12 stones for the 12 tribes. Again. 12, the number of government. Again, we see the authority being tied into this account. It's about getting back to the place of submitting to God's ways and God's kingdom. There are many different types of authority and almost equally number of ways where man can try to abuse it. But any other means of authority outside of God's does not have good or lasting fruit. Ahab had all the authority over the entire nation of Israel. And we saw how that worked out. People followed him wrongly. And he would have led them right off of the cliff. Just because we have the right authority doesn't mean we use authority rightly. It's kind of like a train. You have an engine. It's out front. It's leading the way. And it's pulling every other car that's linked to it behind it. Look, that's why it's so important to get hooked up with the right people, with the right godly authority. Because no matter what, to some extent, no matter what you want or choose to do, if you are linked up with an engine that's going to the left when you know you need to go to the right, it doesn't really matter to some extent. You're going to the left too, as long as you are hooked up to that. There's also an element of Elijah reminding the people where they come from and who they really are. As prophetic people, sometimes we get sent by God specifically to remind people who you are and where you come from. With Elijah, it was reminding the people of Israel, you serve the living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. You serve the God that delivered you out of slavery in Egypt, that parted the Red Sea for you, that led you into the promised land through victory, through victory. Did Baal ever make you any promises? Did Baal ever set you free from slavery? What has he ever done for you? This is what Elijah's doing. He's reminding these people, this is the God you serve. He's saying, come back. Come back to the one true God, the one who actually loves you, the one who actually is bringing you to freedom. This is what prophetic people do. We say, come to the foot of the cross, come and be made new, come and be covered by the blood of the pure, spotless lamb. Don't give your life to worthless idols that never saved you, that never gave you a life and a purpose. Live your life serving the only one who actually loved you and laid aside all of his divinity just to be With you, We all have to make a choice. We can be people who serve and worship the Baals or those who serve and worship the one true God. We may not have an actual Baal like an idol or some statue in our homes, and we probably wouldn't even call it that, but we all could have a Baal in our life that we have set up that we may be exalting over God. I mean, what are some things that people worship? They worship themselves, First, first of all, they worship their time, their own opinions. They worship and put hope in money. Some people worship power and influence. Pleasure and comfort seem to be a big one. Or how about this, worshiping entertainment. And a lot of these, unfortunately, in some churches. Now we actually worship ourselves in churches rather than the living God. Churches become more about us than about God. Sometimes we care more about what we want than what God wants in God's own house. But we have to get back to the place where we say, what does God say? What does God want? What does God want his church to look like today? Look, you're not going to find a Baal worshiping church here at Freedom House. You're going to find a group of people who love God, who follow after Jesus, but we are all individually having to choose for ourselves. Are we gonna serve the one true God or are we gonna follow and get twisted up following other Baals? Remember what Jesus has done for you. He's the one who changed your name from Jacob the deceiver to Israel the prince with God. He's the one who saved you from sin and made you righteous royalty. He's the only one worthy of worship and honor and praise. Picking back up in verse 32. So with the stones, Elijah built an altar in the name of the Lord. He made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two measures of seed. Then he laid out the wood. He cut the ox in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four pitchers with water and pour it on the burnt offering in the wood. Then he said, do it a second time. And they did it the second time. And then he said, Do it a third time. So they did it a third time. And water flowed around the altar and also filled the trench. Again, we see some very specific numbers in this story. The number three for completeness. Elijah had them totally and completely drench the offering in so much water that it overflowed and filled the trench with so much water around the altar. Now, I want you to think about it. At this point, it's still a drought. It hasn't rained in three years. Times are very tough and water is scarce. But Elijah tells them to get large amounts of water and then just dump it all over his offering. Not once, not twice, but three times. He tells them, take the most scarce, most valuable thing there is right now And I want you to just dump it all as an offering to the Lord. I don't want you to miss this. Elijah said to specifically fill four pitchers with water. And he told them to pour it out three times. That means the offering built on the 12 stones was also completely saturated with 12 pitchers worth of water. Again, he's reestablishing his governmental authority again. It's prophetic. It's significant. And it's what we must contend for today in our culture to pray and press in and seek God. They will turn things around that we will once again choose to submit to God and his kingdom. It's about right alignments and getting things back in proper order. We can't put the cart before the horse. We can't have revival and God moving without first choosing to submit to him in his ways. There has to be repentance. There has to be sacrifice. There has to be a pouring out and a leading by example of what it means to love God with all of your heart, your soul, mind, and strength. We can't just expect or demand God show up, do a bunch of miracles, do whatever we want, but then go around as if he doesn't even exist, ignore all his ways, don't even try to live a holy life, and just be like, okay, now God just show up and do something for me, and I'm just going to go about my business. That's not how it works. Now the last thing we're going to look at today is how this entire process of presenting a bull offering and having God respond with fire is actually back when Aaron stood in the gap and offered offerings on behalf of the people. And I'm sure that's what Elijah was thinking. He was thinking back and remembering, this is what happened before, and God can do it again. He knew God's character. He knew he's still the same. He knew God's heart was to restore the people and to experience his glory and his fire and be united in their worship of him again. So look with me at Leviticus chapter nine, verses 22 through 24. Then Aaron lifted his hands towards the people and blessed them. And he came down from the altar of burnt offering after presenting the sin offering, the burnt offering, and the peace offerings. Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting, and when they came out, they blessed the people. And the glory and brilliance of the Lord, the Shekinah cloud, appeared to all the people as promised. Then fire came from the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the portions of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell face down in awe in worship. This is such a beautiful picture of someone standing in the gap, of offering intercession on behalf of other people. This is one of the major ways we can make an impact today as we are operating in the prophetic and pushing towards revival. We might call it prophetic intercession. We are interceding for people with the faith that what we currently see will shift into what God wants and already sees. We're not looking at the drought and merely reporting like, hey guys, I don't know if you noticed, it's still not raining today. Man, that's really crummy, isn't it? No, that doesn't take any prophetic vision to look at no rain and say there's no rain. We need a prophetic generation that will take back families, that will take back neighborhoods, that will declare streams in the desert. Who will offer the sacrifice of praise? Who will commit to pray without ceasing and contend for the glory of God and the fire of God to fall once again? We pray believing that people are already coming back to God in droves, that people are already broken in repentance, that there is already joy and rejoicing at the many who are coming back to the family of God. We pray already seeing the rain that is falling right now, refreshing the land. We give words of knowledge about healing, already seeing people healed and set free. It's time for the prophetic people to rebuild the altars. It's time for the prophets to call people back to God. It's time for a prophetic generation to put a demand on God and have the kind of faith that says, I don't just trust you or wish that you will show up. I am so confident that you are real. I am so confident that you are coming through, that you can put me in the most impossible, the most improbable situation possible. And I know the glory's coming. I know the fire is coming. I know the rain is coming again praise God. All things are possible with God. Look, soaking wet wood doesn't burn unless your God is an all-consuming fire. Do we believe God wants to release holy fire again? Do we believe God wants to reveal himself to mankind in a real tangible way? Do we believe that God, the God we serve, really is omnipotent? That He is all powerful and nothing is too hard for Him? That we may not have a title of prophet but we are anointed by the spirit of the living God to prophesy, to release life-giving words. We can all help lead those around us back to God, to the light of life. When God fills your mouth with his words, even corrupt kings will be compelled to comply with your requests. When God empowers you to exercise spiritual authority, you can break the back of control and witchcraft over people's minds. And when God anoints the words of your mouth with fire from heaven, an entire nation can be set ablaze again. So today, as we end, I'm going to ask, as I have been throughout this series, as you feel led to come forward and to be prayed for, that doesn't mean if you got prayed for the first week, don't, you know, come back up. Each week is different. And I want us all to get what God is doing Each week. So today, I'm believing that God is wanting to impart some fresh faith. Faith because when you see the circumstances arise that are seemingly impossible, you will remember that all things are possible with God and that your God is a consuming fire. It doesn't matter how it looks in the natural, it will probably look Quite the opposite in the natural most of the time. That's why we have to live by faith. So I'm going to ask and believe that God is going to give you a new mantle of faith today for this next season. So I'm going to ask everyone, come forward as you feel led. And we're going to anoint you, lay hands on you, and just declare the word of the Lord over you in faith in Jesus' name.